All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter number 4. John chapter number 4. As you turn to John chapter number 4, we're, we're going to pick up right kind of in the middle of a, of a story that you probably know the woman at the well there. And, uh, and I, I don't want to cover all of the passage. We just simply cannot for time's sake. Uh, but I want, there are some, some thoughts that I want to pull out of this passage that I think are important and I want us to focus on this morning. And so John chapter number 4, we're going to pick up the story there in verse number 15, where Jesus has already gone to the uh, Samaria. He has already uh, started talking to this woman that was there at the well. And uh, he's even talked to her about the water and how he is the, uh, that he has the water of everlasting life. And verse number 15, we'll jump there into the kind of the middle of the story. And the Bible says, the woman saith unto him, sir, Give me this water that I thirst not, neither come thither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messias, Messias cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for uh, your, the, the many blessings that we have in our life. Father, thank you for a church where we can gather around your word and, and worship you. God, I pray that you would use me this morning. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me. God, I pray that you would touch each and every heart as only you can. And God, I pray that we would be blessed, we'd be encouraged, we'd strengthened, we'd be, uh, we'd be corrected if need be, Father, uh, by being in your house under your word this morning. And Father, we'll be careful uh, to give you the honor and glory for all that is said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. As we look at this passage, uh, the, the part really that jumped out to me is uh, Jesus started talking about, the woman asked him really about worship. 
And, uh, and Jesus gives a lot of instruction here on, on worship. And I want us to understand this before we even get to that part, that there was a lot of division between the Samaritans and the Jews. And I was kind of reading about that just to brush up on, on what that division was. And there was many things, really. Uh, but this woman was quite surprised in the beginning of this chapter that Jesus would even talk to her. In verse number 9, it says there, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And so right there in our text, we find out, well, there is a division and there is a, uh, a divide between the Jews and the Samaritans. And, and the Samaritans understood that. They knew, hey, it's not normal for a Jew to come by and talk to the Samaritan, much less ask something of a Samaritan, as Jesus had done. And so there was a, 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 a divide there. And in talking with this woman, uh, Jesus, as God, clearly points out the sin that is in her life. And as we think about that, it would do us well when God points out sin in our life to acknowledge that sin. And, uh, and, and without a doubt, it impacted her. Later on in the text, you'll find uh, that, that as she goes into the town, she tells everybody in town, she says, Hey, come see the man that told me everything I've ever done. And that impacted her. And she recognized, hey, this is more than just some guy that stopped by uh, Samaria and asked for water. Uh, this is a prophet without a doubt. And so she realized that. And she understood that. And as we think about that, they then get into the dialogue. And ha as she realizes, well, this is a prophet of God. This is somebody who knows about God. And she says, hey, you know, now's a great time to find out. Uh, are we the Samaritans right for worshiping in this mountain? Or are the Jews right for worshiping in Jerusalem? And so that's the question that she phrases to Jesus. Because there was a little bit of, well, there was more than a little bit. But there was a divide between the Samaritans and Jews. And one of the issues that comes up right in our text is that the, Jew, the Samaritans would worship in this mountain. She said there in verse number, um, verse number 20, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say, because he was a Jew, she knew that, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So one of the immediate things that we see here is that there was a divide upon worship, and uh, not who was being worshipped, because they both worshipped Jehovah God. Matter of fact, she gives clue earlier, and she says in verse number 12, are the greater than our father Jacob. So the Samaritans claimed that Jacob was their father. The Jews would claim that Jacob was their father, and they indeed were both Jewish, but yet the Samaritans would worship in this mountain, and the Jews would worship there in, in Jerusalem at the temple. And so there was this forefront question on her mind, and she said, hey, this is a prophet. I mean, he's just told me everything I've ever done. He's told me, and I recognize that, uh, that he's spot on with my sin. And so he, she says, hey, uh, then I want to know this. Are we right to worship in this mountain, or are we supposed to be worshiping in Jerusalem? And as we think about that, I, I do want to define the term worship. What does it mean to worship? 
Worship is to adore, to pay divine honors to, to reverence with supreme respect and veneration, to respect, to honor, to treat with civil reverence, to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. And so as we gather in the house, uh, in, the, in the, the church this morning, we do so with the express purpose of worshiping or adoring our God. And as we think about that, uh, I want us to think about the whole idea of worship. And uh, as she was concerned about it, there are some things that, that I want us to look at in this text. And I want us to notice, the very first thing I want us to notice is that it, there was some troublesome worship going on. And that was, as I've explained, the Samaritans were worshiping in this mountain. And, and it was not even, uh, it was not even right or it was not even proper. Now they had done it in the past and there's biblical references. We can go and show why the Samaritans believed that they should worship in that mountain. It was not the first time that had taken place. But, uh, but on top of all of that, uh, she, she finds that Jesus is a prophet and she says, well, I'm going to settle this once and for all. Here is a true man of God, and I want to know what is going on. And so then she asks Jesus, and I want you to notice there, look in verse number 22. Go back actually to verse 21. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Let me just stop here and mention this, uh, that in, in Bible times, it was right and appropriate to go to the temple. And there was only one place specified to worship God, uh, that in the temple there in Jerusalem. And Jesus says to her, listen, there's a time coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem are you going to have to worship. And I'm grateful this morning that all across America, really all across the world, there are, there are, there are congregations of believers who are assembled in their local assembly that are worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. I'm glad that we don't have to travel to Jerusalem. For one thing, I don't speak uh, Hebrew. And another thing, I don't think I could afford the airline tickets, okay? Um, but I'm glad that, that God made it a way and, and obviously opened up salvation to every person and, and made it possible that we could worship God in every place. And he says that very clearly. Hey, there's a time coming when not in Jerusalem and not in this mountain, uh, but they will worship God. Verse 22, I want you to notice this. He goes on and he says, Ye worship, ye know not what. Wow. You understand what he just said? He said, you don't have a clue what you're worshiping. That's what he said. He said, you don't know what you're, you're going and you're worshiping, but you don't even know what you're worshiping. You don't understand all of it. And, uh, and as we look at it, we can, of course, see the Samaritans worship and that she, she knew that she was of the tribe of Jacob. And, and I say that to say this, they were not in idolatry. They were not in some crazy, uh, wild ideas of religious worship. There were a lot of people in that time who were in crazy, wild worship things. And, 
and were in idolatry and were in religions that were completely off the charts and not tied to the Bible. But this was not the case for the Samaritan woman, but rather that she claimed that Jacob was her father in the, in the heritage and in the line. And so she knew she was a child of Jacob. She knew she was an Israelite. She knew she was to worship Jehovah God. She knew that there was only one God and that's who that, that they were to worship. But she did not have it all right. And Jesus clearly says, uh, Ye worship, ye know not what. Listen, many sincere people, sincere people are confused in religions. A lot of people. And I'm not, I'm talking about worshiping God. I'm not talking about Buddha. I'm not talking about Muhammad. I'm not talking about other. I'm talking about those who would claim that there is one God and there are many are confused. Now, they're sincere people. This woman was a sincere pe- person. She was interested. She sincerely worshiped. Now, she was not right, but she was sincerely worshiping. And there are a lot of people who go about their way trying to worship God in a sincere matter, in a sincere manner, but they go about it in the wrong way. And this woman was kind of part of that. And Jesus clearly told her, Ye worship, ye know not what. And He just straight out told her, You don't understand what you're worshiping. He goes on and he says, We know what we worship. And he says this phrase, For salvation is of the Jews. Now, that's a pretty strong statement. And... He is a Jew, and he is speaking to a Samaritan with whom there's already a divide, but he's very clear and says, hey, listen, salvation is going to come through the Jewish line. And, uh, and that was very clear. Matter of fact, uh, we know that Jesus Christ was the Savior, is the Savior. And, and matter of fact, he, through talking to her, very clearly says that. And she understands that. She says, hey, we do know that a Messiah is coming. We do know that he's going to come. And at the end of verse number 26 there, Jesus says, he, or basically he says, I am him. I'm the Messiah. It blows my mind. And I cannot comprehend how people would read the New Testament and deny that Jesus Christ is God. He clearly said He was. Look at verse number 26. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am He. Who is He? The Messiah, the Christ the one that should come to redeem Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm amazed oftentimes uh, that, that there are, there and there are those who deny that Jesus Christ is God. They will tell you He's everything else under the sun. Listen, what did Jesus Christ Himself preach? He said, I that speak unto thee am He. I'm the Messiah. He said said it multiple times. And Jesus Christ Himself claimed to be it. Uh, Listen, people will read that and they'll deny it and they'll write it off any other way. Uh, Listen, the Pharisees knew exactly what Jesus was claiming. How many times was it that they wanted to stone Him? and, And why? Because of blasphemy. But it wasn't blasphemy because He was the Christ. 
And so they were very clear on what Jesus was saying. Just that today people want to twist it and change it. What did Paul preached? You go back and you read the Pauline epistles, and you know what he preached? He preached Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. That's what he preached in Corinth. That's what he preached in the book of Romans. That's what he preached in the book of Ephesians and Colossians. And you can go on and on and find that the deity of Jesus Christ is substantiated by the epistles of Paul. It's substantiated substantiated by the preaching of Jesus Christ. It's substantiated by the, the preaching of Peter. And you can go on and on and say, hey, listen, that Jesus Christ truly is Lord. There's many people out there. There's many Christian religions who worship one God, but deny the deity of Jesus Christ. And they know not what they worship, as Jesus told this woman. He said, you're, you're confused and you don't know. But Jesus is the Messiah. We see the troublesome worship. Listen, there's troublesome worship even today that goes on and, and people that are confused and I don't want to be unkind and I don't want, we do not need to be mean because there's many sincere people that are caught up in that and they think they're doing the best they can but they're, they're like this Samaritan lady. They're, they're caught up in something that's not right. And Jesus was straightforward with her. But I want you to notice in verse 23, we see that when those verses we can see the troublesome worship that's not right. But in verse 23, he says this, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers, you can underline those two words, true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit, and in truth. And I want us to see the true worshipers. As I was thinking about that phrase, and I thought, well, if there's true worshipers, then there must be those who are not true worshipers. Because Jesus is quick to point out that, hey, there are true worshipers. And the Bible goes, uh, go with me, save your spot here in John chapter number 4, and go with me to uh, Mark chapter number 15. And I'd like you, for you to see this. Mark chapter number 15. I came across this verse and as I was looking over the, the notes for this message and I, I thought this was very interesting and it, it kind of sheds light on, on our passage here of true worshipers. And we find in Mark chapter number 15 and verse number 17, we're kind of coming into the middle of the crucifixion where Jesus is being uh, crucified and He's being uh, tortured and, and, and they're, uh, they're, they're, they're causing Him much pain there. And look with me in Mark chapter number 15 and verse number 17. The Bible says, And they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him and bowing their knees worshipped him. I found that odd. Verse number 20, And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to be crucified. Now, it doesn't take rocket science to figure out that's not true worshipers. Matter of fact, the verse right after in verse number 20 said that they mocked him. And as I read that, uh, I was in 
was I was amazed and I thought, you know, there are there are worshipers who are are worship who worship scoffingly. And that's what these these soldiers were doing as they would mock Jesus and, and they would uh, they would mock the fact that he was God and, and they would worship him in a mocking fashion. And I thought, boy, that's sad to me. And I don't really ever think about that when I think about worship, but Jesus said true worshipers. And when I think of worship, I just I see a bunch of people getting together in sincerity to actually worship God because they love Him and they care about Him. But it would do us well to understand, hey, that there are those who would scoff at God. And they would worship out of mockery. Not just the scoffers that would, that would worship, but I want you to notice as well, go with me to Matthew chapter number 28. And in Matthew chapter 28, I think this would probably be more closer to home with where we're at uh, and, and who we are and, and what we would run into more frequently. But we find in Matthew chapter number 28, uh, we find another form of worship. Jesus has already risen from the dead and he's there and he's meeting with his disciples. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 17, and when they saw him, this is the disciples that were gathered together, the 11 disciples. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now we know, we'll automatically dub that doubting Thomas. And we know that Thomas certainly did doubt. I mean, it's very clearly written in Scripture. You can go find other passages, but I, I think it would do us well to recognize that, that Thomas is often called out for it, but he was not the only one. And so we have, we have scoffing worshipers that are, are obviously not right and they make a mockery of God. But I want us to notice as well, they're skeptical worshipers. And those are, I believe, these are the 11 disciples who loved the Lord Jesus Christ, who were concerned about the Lord Jesus Christ. But in all honesty, man, they were, how on earth is this happening? I mean, let's face it, in 2022, the Bible aside, in 2022, if some guy dies and he's buried and three days later he's walking around, you're going to be saying, wait a minute, I know we've got good medicine, but that just is impossible. You'd be scratching your head too. And you would be skeptical. And let's just face it that sometimes uh, when God does stuff in our life and, and, and sometimes we get put in a position where there's difficulties and there's circumstances surrounding us that are hardships and, and we're scratching our head and we become a little bit skeptical of God's power in our life. And they were skeptical worshipers. And they were, they were worshiping. They were there because they loved God. This is the 11, the disciples that were surrounded there and, and loved God. And, and I'm just saying that later, uh, God, Jesus calls out Thomas and, and he proves him. He says, hey, you want to see my scars? You want to put your hand in my side? And Thomas does not do it. Thomas sees it and automatically realizes, man, this is the Christ. Sometimes God's got to deal with us and show us and say, listen, I'm here and I am real and I am who I say I am and I am able to do things in our life. But may we be reminded, hey, we should not be skeptical worshipers. But we should be true worshipers. We go back to our text. Actually, go to John chapter number 9. 
You don't have to go there. Just John chapter 4. John chapter 9 deals with a blind man. And, uh, and Jesus had healed him on the Sabbath day. And I read the entire chapter of John, and, or John chapter 9, and, and it's a very lengthy chapter, but it, it deals 100% with this blind man that was healed. And, 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 and he is healed. Uh, Jesus spits on the ground and makes clay and puts it on his eyes, and he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And, and so this blind man goes and he washes in the pool of Siloam, and when he washes it off, he's able to see. And then he was told, hey, go show yourself to the, uh, to the priest. And so he goes, and the Pharisees are there, and, uh, and they say, who is it that healed you? And, and he said, some man named Jesus, I don't know. I've never seen him before. And they say, we, they, the Pharisees did not like that. And they call in the parents and they say, hey, who, who healed your, is this your son? And they said, yeah, it's our son. They say, was he blind? Yes, he was blind. They say, who made him to see? And his parents, scared of the Pharisees, scared of being kicked out of, of the temple, said, we don't know, he's of age. Hey, he's, after all, he's 18, he's 21, whatever the age was. Hey, he's on his own, man. He can take care of himself. Ask him, he's a big boy. They ask him again, and he said, Jesus. And he says, I've already told you once. You want me to tell you again because you want to believe? And they got mad and kicked him out of the temple and said, go away. And, and, and as he was leaving, and he runs into Jesus. And, and as he runs into Jesus, uh, Jesus has a short dialogue with him. And the end of that dialogue, the blind man says this, or the Bible says, and he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. True believers are people who whose lives have been touched and have been changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is quick to point that out in John chapter number 4 and verse 23, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Listen, if God has touched your life, well, you got reason to worship Him. I mean, we have reason to know and, and say, hey, God has changed my life and, and I worship Him because of what He's done. And this blind man worshiped Him because how He had changed His life. And so we can see true worshipers. We can see troubled worship in the very beginning of that text. I want you to notice this as well. In verse number 24 of our text, John 4 and verse 24, the Bible says, God is a spirit and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth not only are there true worshipers there is true worship they must worship him in spirit and in truth i want to take that first that last part and mention this first that uh, the scripture is truth we must worship god in spirit and in truth and so true worship is worshiping God uh, in truth, and truth is found completely in Scripture. Listen, the Word of God is our foundation for everything of our faith and practice. 
And this book is important to us. And listen, we use the King James Bible uh, this week. I've been reminded of uh, as I, my, my son was taking some classes and, and, uh, and, and they, Brother Alter is teaching about the, the history of the King James Bible. And I was able to tune in and watch a few of them. And, and I enjoyed it. And I was reminded of, hey, this is so important because it's foundational to us. A lot of people, they'll use other Bibles and listen, uh, they'll say, well, it's just easier to read. Listen, that's not the only thing that they changed, my friend. There's a whole lot more than just the language that they've changed. They've taken verses out and added things and put things in. And there's, it's important that we stick to the King James Bible uh, because this is the foundation of everything that we believe. The King James Bible. And so the, the Scripture is truth. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And the word of God is truthful. We ought to worship Him according to what's written in the word of God. We ought to be uh, find what the Bible says about that and, and worship God in truth. But he says, in spirit and in truth. Listen, the Spirit guides us in worship. Go with me, we're in John. Go to John chapter number 16 and verses 13 and 14. And I want to mention this as well, that there are some churches that uh, go overboard on the Spirit. And we're not going that, uh, we're we're not going to uh, speak in tongues and all of that. That, That's that's extra biblical. That's outside of the scope of Scripture. And and, and that's not where we're going with this. But on the other hand, is that we can become so stoic and so unmoved that when the Spirit moves, that we don't even move and we don't have any conscientious idea of the Spirit. The Bible says in John chapter number 16 and verse number 13, Jesus is teaching His disciples and He says this, How be it when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. He shall glorify Me, for He shall receive for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. In other words, hey, the Spirit is involved in worship. And listen, we can't see the Spirit and and we don't want to get caught up in emotionalism, but listen, there ought to be the, the, the presence of the Spirit in your heart. When, when the Word of God is preached and taught and when we sing the hymns, uh, there ought to be some kind of moving in us that has, says, hey, that, that this stuff is true and that God is blessed and God is, uh, God is pleased with the things that are going on and, and that this is exalting to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says here that, uh, that the, the Spirit's not going to exalt Himself. That's where a lot of people get off way on one side and, and it's all about the moving of the Spirit. Uh, but... And that goes off the one, one end of the block. But we cannot deny the Spirit and worship either. And God does move. And sometimes we, uh, we ought to hear the, uh, the preaching of the Word of God and allow the Spirit to speak to our heart and to touch us and to show us what needs to change in our life or what needs to uh, improve or where we're doing well. And, and we, ought to, we ought to worship God in spirit and in truth. 
We find that truth is the Scripture. We find truth that the Spirit will guide us into all truth and help us to understand those things. And, and, uh, and then we find as well that, listen, the Bible says that in spirit and in truth and in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 15, you can jot that down. 1 Timothy 3.15, the Bible says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Listen, we're to worship God in spirit and in truth. And then he says that the, the church of the living God is the pillar and ground of the truth. In other words, hey, that the, the, the church would promote the truth of the Word of God and we continually teach the Word of God. And when we worship that we could gather in the sanctuary, uh, the church house, the pillar uh, of the ground of the truth. In other words, that the Word of God would be proclaimed, that the Word of God would be given out Hey, listen, I don't see a lot of other institutions out there teaching the Word of God. By the way, if they are, they're not ordained of God. The church is ordained of God. So we find that the church that God established to, to teach and educate and promote the Word of God. And so we find that worship would involve uh, the Spirit and truth, that the Spirit would be moving and that the Word of God would be promoted and given out as truth in truth. And that's, that is all part of the worship of the Word of God. And as we look at the Word of God, man, we, can, we can reflect on who God is. We say, what an amazing God we serve. And it would draw us to say, you know what? I want to worship and I want to adore and I want to love Him more with my life. We see true worshipers. We ought to be true worshipers. We see true worship and we ought to practice true worship in the Spirit and in the truth of the Word of God. There's so many people that are, that are tied up in other worship. They're tied up in and as Jesus told the woman at the well, ye worship, ye know not what. They don't know what they're worshiping. And may we encourage them and say, listen, Jesus Christ, who is God, who is the Messiah, died on the cross to save you from your sins. He wants to change your life. And once you've been saved, then you can worship Him. You have something to worship Him about. And the Spirit of God will dwell in you and will help you, and you'll be able to worship and feel that, hey, there's something real that's going on. And that it's not just something that we stand here and do. It's not just a time that we punch in our time and say, well, I did my time. No, but it's something that we desire to worship in spirit and in truth, the Lord who changed our life. What an opportunity we have. I'm glad that we're not limited to Jerusalem or one place, but God brought it and made it so that we could worship wherever there's a church that it would come together. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be in the midst. What a blessing that we can worship God collectively together. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet. True worship true worshipers, troublesome worship.
I would hope that you'd fall in the category of a true worshiper and true worship this morning. Maybe you're here or maybe you're listening online and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never had Him change your life. Listen, He wants to. He died on the cross to take your sin upon Himself, to take your punishment, and He offers a free gift of salvation if you'll call upon Him and ask Him to save you. You can do that today. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this woman at the well who asked You a question. Should we worship in that mountain in Samaria or in Jerusalem? God, thank You for Your clear answer. God, that we need to be true worshipers. We need to worship You in spirit and in truth. God, I pray that You'd help us to be true worshipers and worship in spirit and in truth. God, I pray if there's one that does not know You as their personal Savior, that You would show them their need for salvation. God, will thank You for that. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As the hymn begins to play, God's spoken to your heart. The altar's open. Maybe you just want to sit there in your seat and, and worship the Lord and thank Him for your salvation. Thank Him for your, uh, the, the touch on your life. Maybe the change He's brought about in your home. Maybe something else, but you just want to thank God. Take a moment. Worship Him in prayer this morning. Thank Him for what He's done in your life. Reflect on His goodness to you. to a 